0: This is The Art of Hiring. I started this podcast to share insights from those on the front line of hiring, executives, HR professionals, executive search firms, and the staffing firms and agencies that support them. There are so many aspects of hiring and so many different things that shape the dynamics of hiring. There is something so cool about the collective insights from those involved. I thought it'd be interesting to hear from people who have their finger on the pulse of hiring in today's climate. I'm Christine Kuhl, and this is The Art of Hiring. Angie Cartwright is currently the Vice President of People and Organization for the Americas for an industrial software company called Cognite, headquartered in Norway and Angie is the founder of ATX HR Meetup a community of HR professionals in Austin who meet regularly to discuss debate learn and share information among their peers since the ATX HR group was founded in 2014 it has grown to 1400 members and continues to grow welcome Angie thank you so much Christina it's a delight to be with you great great Angie you and I became acquainted several years ago through the HR network in Austin, actually, um, if you recall. One of the things I really enjoyed meeting about meeting you was the wealth of experience you have across different industries and your passion for really understanding the human aspect of how people in the workplace come together. I'd love to start today by asking how you got
1: into doing what you do and what inspired you. Thanks, Christine. I do remember when we met. Uh, boy, it's been it's been many years. Time flies. <laughs> uh, so when I think back about my career, I really began in a like a dynamic startup, and I remember I had you know the opportunity to wear multiple hats, and it really wasn't too uncommon because I came from parents who were entrepreneurs. But when I think about how I got into it, um, you know, in my early days, I had this huge focus on sales and marketing. And then later, I transitioned into the HR, the people and culture space, due to my passion for people. And I remember specifically working at the time for a nonprofit where I was leading multiple talent programs.
0: Great, that's so great to hear your origin story, and that your parents were entrepreneurs too. Um, I always find that that help that uh, helps influence where uh, where we tend to go in our careers as well. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I wanted to dive right in. Let's dive right in. Let's talk about some tools too. Sure. Um, I, I understand that you use Myers-Briggs as one of your tools. If, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, and I've, I'm i familiar with Myers-Briggs and I understand it to be one of the most popular and oldest assessment tools, but I've also heard of companies using things like StrengthsFinder, um, DISC, and others. These are just the the ones that I know of. I'm sure you know a lot more, but I was wondering, to what extent do you rely on Myers-Briggs? What are some of the other more recent or valuable assessments that you that you uh, used or recommend?
1: Absolutely. You know, when I think about Myers-Briggs, I first got introduced to it when I was living in London. And so I became a practitioner. I used it and still do for individual team development. I generally don't use a tool like that for ever like assessing fit. But there are so many different psychometric assessments out there um, that really support throughout the life cycle of talent, anything from the early assessing of the fit to supporting the onboarding, of course, self-insight awareness development, you know, communication preferences, leadership, et cetera. It's just never ending. There's so many nowadays. You mentioned a few. Um, I've been you know, I, I can sit back and think either I've taken myself or implemented various assessments. You mentioned uh, DISC, certainly there's Insights, Strengths Finder as well, huge fan of of understanding the strengths and playing to those. Various 360s as well come forward. Uh, Predictive Index is a really great one as well for sales individuals. And then Adam Grant also talks about the Hexaco assessments as well as the Big Five. So these are some of the ones um, that are really well known for Validity as well. Mm-hmm. You
0: mentioned uh, that you don't use for fit. Uh, is that right? You don't use the correct. For yeah, fit? not okay. not
1: normally for fit um, in terms of hiring practices.
0: What are what is it best used for? Is it best used for then more um, like you said for? Is it understanding how to best communicate or work with uh, the individual? How wh- what's the best way to use these?
1: Absolutely. So it's really that self-insight or the awareness. So I think about using psychometric assessments for uh, development purposes only. So when we think about in like um, individually, I've utilized them where we will launch them as part of their onboarding, where we'll do a one-on-one session with individuals. It really helps them integrate into teams and integrate with their new people leader. And then they're able to share their results with whomever they'd like to share uh, so that we do keep those uh, confidential as well. And then with teams, it's a little different dynamic. So we start to look at what are we trying to solve for with the team? Is it preferences and communications? Is it conflict styles? Uh, is it how do we um, be creative and innovative? So it's anything around those different domains around uh, preferences essentially. Mm-hmm.
0: I think that's a good point you make about what is it we're trying to achieve. And, and if you ask that first, uh, then look at what the possible solutions are. I think that's a much better way to go than saying, hey, we always use this, you know, this particular uh, tool. Um, but I think that if you identify upfront front what you're trying to achieve, um, then you can look at the different options that will fit that will work best. So, Does that align with what you're saying?
1: absolutely does absolutely so looking at what are the symptoms what are the root causes what what are we trying to solve for what does good look like and really sitting down like you said and understanding what are the tools that we have in our toolkit and what would best align
0: Mm -hmm. great good i want to go back to a little bit about what you know you how you got your start and uh you mentioned working with the nonprofit. uh is that right i did i did yeah You've also lived and worked in Germany, London, you've held various global positions. Uh, I was curious, just based on all of your experience then across the different um, different areas, how would you contrast that with US companies in terms of work styles, cultures? What have you learned and what can you share with us? What insights?
1: Yeah, happy to. You know, I sit back and I think about the experiences globally and as well as locally and regionally. I, there's some things that are very different or vastly different. So the what can be similar or different, and the how can be equally as different. And when I think about global, it's really important to be mindful of, you know like a a paradox, how to be global but yet local and practicing that that mindset of intercultural sensitivity. So each of us from our backgrounds come from you know like a cultural spectacle of of a different lens and we end up viewing others through that lens. And as humans, uh, we naturally make these interesting assumptions based upon our subjective views and what what we've learned and experienced. And then on top of that, we make assumptions of other people's assumptions. And so the human dynamics can get really, you know, quite complicated fast when we start to blend uh, the various um, cultures Layers. as it pertains to global. Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounds like it's a lot of layers we're talking about. Um, And also I was just curious, so many companies now, um, they don't just have, you know, a U.S. location. They don't just have one international global location. There might be several and there might be across different continents. I can see where that can get really complex too. Uh, but so interesting too. So fascinating, interesting where you're trying to um. You know, you, you're looking at all the different cultures that are brought together, um, too. Does that make it m- much more interesting for you as an HR professional as well? It
1: does. It does. You know, listening to you talk about this, it makes me think of, you know, the, the highest awareness, certainly sensitivity, and then those allowances to support various degrees of the goal, mm-hmm. you know, the global cultures, the different mentalities, mm-hmm. uh, some mm-hmm. of the complexities that, that come to mind, which are really real, right? time zone. So for instance, being flexible and, and having boundaries that are agreed upon in terms of the criticality of of what you're trying to solve for as a team with those different time zone differences. There's a couple of other things where we think about, you know, curiosity and vulnerability and, and really being mindful of getting to know and striving to be a continuous learner uh, with the empathy from the other culture to really understand and seek to understand the culture, to consider, uh, a different spectacle, right? A different lens of viewing and partnering. And then when we think about that, if we're in a decision-making environment, uh, then we we definitely have to think about how we take in information, key insights for key decisions that impact the talent.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, interesting. I was just thinking also, uh, earlier in my career, I used to work for a German uh, company that had acquired the U.S., uh, a US company. And so I was still based in the US. Um, but I remember, uh, just thinking through before we traveled to Europe, um, for meetings, we always had a, um, a consultant who would come in to, um, give us some guidance and some training around cultural, cultural, in the business context for meetings. Um, so these were very, uh, these were more isolated, brief, um, uh, business trips where we would learn about the culture and enough uh, in the context of of a business meeting. And I always think back to that. Um, and I just remember and recall a lot of companies were doing that when they started to do more glo- global travel, um, is giving the executives or the people who are traveling uh, guidance and training, some cultural training on how they do business in that country. Do you remember these kinds of things um, that we're done? I,
1: I do, I do. And I do think it's really important, right? It, it's so important, especially when we have uh, different lenses that come into play in those different layers. And uh, I remember, in fact, when I started to move overseas, I, I started to reference different books. And I remember hitting the bookstore and ordering, like I, I vividly recall getting um, a book called When Cultures Collide. And that was my go-to book to understand the history of the region, to understand their regional values. You know, what are their communication preferences? How do they listen? How do they, How do they? Uh, what are those habits that they were raised with or, or that uh, are part of the, the business environment? And then also, what do they seek for uh, others in terms of empathizing with them? So it's a huge, huge opportunity to raise one's awareness in terms of partnering.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's so interesting, um, and I can see where, um, you know, when you're working with the company, then internally, and you've got other locations, how to blend all of that together is much, you know, um, and I also think that's wonderful, just being a, sort of this global, you know, global awareness and a, um, a blend of different cultures. I also think that enriches uh, the environment, the workplace.
1: Absolutely, uh, absolutely.
0: I wanted to then move into another topic um kind of combining uh, a couple of things we've just talked about but um company and I I'm usually working with companies uh externally and uh companies I've I've worked with always want to assess culture fit you know when when hiring when you mm-hmm. think about workplace culture what surfaces what's your view of how important it is uh in us in, in assessing culture fit
1: yeah, you know, they're, we're not shy of all the literature around culture and culture fit. Uh, so one thing that comes to mind is is understanding what are those key skills that bring that that culture forward for individuals, for leaders? There's, there's certainly a lot of information out there nowadays on culture fit or culture ad. So I'm a huge believer of understanding, again, where's the business, where's the product, where's the maturity of the organization? And then seeking to ensure that where we can, we reduce biases and that we consider those candidates uh, that will bring in those new, fresh, new, different perspectives and really help us in terms of our ideation, our creativity, our innovation, and then look at their experiences as gifts. So there's a fine balance when we think about, you know, culture fit versus culture add.
0: I like that you're saying culture add,
1: uh, Mm -hmm. because when
0: I think culture fit, I think you know, we're sort of trying to box it in, we're trying to fit into something. But mm-hmm. the culture ad now I visualize this. Um it's 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 not trying to fit in, it's adding to it and and it makes it a more um enriching, you know, sort of um result, I guess. Ab- um
1: it absolutely does. So there can be actually limitations when we think about cultural fit because we all have natural biases, right? Similarity biases. Personality preferences that can actually influence our decision making.
0: Mm -hmm. Is culture ad uh, the new way that um, uh, you or companies, uh, or is that a trend now uh, where companies are looking at it more as culture ad? I love that phrase. Mm -hmm. I love that term.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm not sure where the term started, but it's definitely, I would say, probably in the last two years, if not three there's been more of an emphasis of cultural, you know, cultural ad as opposed to cultural fit.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that a lot. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, and a a related topic now to that, from your vantage point, are companies good at embracing diversity and inclusion in the workplace? So, you know, when you're thinking about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, are there Mm -hmm. examples of business cases that come to mind? Is there anything that you can enlighten us with
1: yeah so hugely passionate about dei and a lot of folks call it dei b like so dibs right there has to be what we call key sponsorships and such an important initiative so when you think about the abc's of sponsorship you know DEI is is not simply a people and cultural initiative it's an organization and individual initiative And we have to have the ABCs of sponsorship to ensure that everyone's actively and visibly participating, that we're building across our, you know, individuals, our teams, our organizations, that strong collation of of partnership, and then communicating and really bringing DEI initiatives to life. And so when we think about the different business cases to get the key sponsorships involved, you know, one of the things that I often ask when I look at organizations that I'm contemplating joining is what budget has been set aside? What are those key initiatives for D and i And when we think about business cases, there's everything from, let's just say inclusive processes. Forbes, for instance, has shared that, you know, teams that follow inclusive processes, so really co-creating, human center, et cetera, they make decisions two times faster. So when we think about that, that really brings forward not just some of the different practices that we pull in the house, but but if we want inclusive processes, that impacts the bottom line. Uh, we think about Deloitte, for instance, has shared that when you know team members believe that their organizations are committed to DEI, that they feel more included, and therefore their productivity enhances and their innovation can increase upwards of over eighty percent. So that's a huge bottom line driver as well. And then there are different business cases around turnover, certainly financial return. So Harvard and, and of course McKenzie have both shared different stats. They talk about the increased market share and, and the financial returns as well.
0: Great, that's great. And I can see where it can be more productive as well. You've got um, employees then that uh, feel more um, uh, you know, aligned, uh, feel more integrated perhaps. Um, mm-hmm. when you've got those initiatives in mind, Well, you talked about getting the key sponsorships. So is how important is that to get the buy-in then um at the executive level? Are you getting buy-in then within each area, within each department, um within each organization, you know, with uh, in the company? Um, how important is it to get that those key
1: sponsorships? And critically important. So again, I always say it's those ABCs. They have to be actively involved, and the executives have to build that coalition with each other and then hold each other accountable. And then, of course, that C, the communication, the cascading, it becomes quite fluid in organizations that, that blend those ABCs into their fabric.
0: How does this translate then into... Um uh, the sourcing, sourcing and talent acquisition. Uh, I'm curious, does this, uh, figure into, um, you know, what are the most important elements then of, uh, strategic talent acquisition? Um, how does, how do you reconcile, um, the DEI initiatives? Let's say you've got sponsorship, you have DEI initiatives are all well-defined, um, Does this feed into then some strategic way that you're um, approaching talent acquisition?
1: Yeah, so I- Does that that.
0: question make sense?
1: (laughs) It does, it does, yeah. Okay. It's it's double-barreled. So, you know, there's there's a couple of things, right? So there's strategic uh, talent acquisition, and then there's also strategic workforce strategy coupled with your DEI initiatives. So it's really layering three different components together but when we think about just uh, use one, for example, if we sit down and we think about strategic talent acquisition, uh, think of a four pane window. So generally, in, like in the upper left-hand side, it would be all about establishing those recruiting objectives and, and making sure they're aligned with the business objectives. And a number of different elements fall in that bucket. And then when you start to get all that compiled, then you move into the developing, and, and like, component of of that area and these are going to be things like the types of individuals targeted the talent where we get our sources from right the types of campaigns etc and then the bottom left hand pane is the implementation so this is all about the activity that we take those sources that we utilize and then even our interviewing approach and then the bottom right hand pane window christine would be really that measurement or that ROI as well. But when we start to layer in or sprinkle in, you know, our DEI initiatives in this, start, we start to think about where the campaign elements, how do we ensure that we're interviewing for diverse talent? How are we bringing it forward in mindfulness of, you know, allowing those who may not be comfortable interviewing with their camera on and being supportive of anyone who may have a high neurodiversity uh, element, uh, so we've we've got to really think about uh, all these different elements that we sprinkle into a strategic talent acquisition initiative.
0: That sounds great. I really like the examples that you brought up as well, um, especially the um, you know camera on or off. Uh, just it, it seems it may seem trivial, right? But it isn't. Um, and in this day and age of sort of post you know COVID pandemic and we're doing a lot i feel like we're doing a lot more video uh meetings even in video interviews um uh that's a that's an important aspect of it you know the sort of camera on camera off and how comfortable uh an individual is in various you know various environments i want to and i feel like we're taking kind of listeners through almost like a life cycle of you know throughout the organization and with regards to hiring and the strategic aspect of planning for it and a lot of considerations. I wanted to also ask you a little while back, I know you wrote an article about this idea of re-recruiting your employees. And I love this concept uh, because mm-hmm. the nature of organizations is dynamic. Um, so why wouldn't you be re-recruiting your team? Um, but I can also see where employees might feel a little taken aback by it Um, uh, you know, maybe not any more than insecurities that may come up during performance review time or anxieties. Um, but I love this concept. Um, and I'm sure there's, you know, better ways, there's good ways to deliver, uh, this, Mm -hmm. but from your experience, does this issue arise? How do hiring managers address this with their employees? What, what, if they, you know, is this a, something that, um, you know, we should be doing and, um, and how, how do they approach it without getting having their employees be taken aback by it? What do you think?
1: Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Should they be doing it? Absolutely. Uh, and, and how do we help them, right? So looking at, I like to think about continuous feedback or performance feedback. And if we're having really great conversations around, uh, first of all, frameworks, right? But goal setting, for example, whether you're a KPI, regular goal setting, Okay, our organization, how, how are we designing those goals and making those very you know, co-created and prioritizing those? How are we pulling in those ongoing conversations with our talent, right? Those check-ins, those those quick celebrations, understanding if they're having any obstacles where we can help remove and and, and support them in achievement. Uh, feedback conversations, right? These These can be two-way, they can be with peers, they can be coaching. But also, you know, organizations have to be mindful of that career development. And so when we think about re-recruiting as well, this is where we start to understand their growth, their career aspiration goals. What activities can we fold in with those conversations and commit to so that we're supporting their career, you know, like their individual, their professional career paths, and then really start to help them hone what we call like full stack skill models as well. So it's hugely important. And research nowadays also shows that, you know, if individuals aren't having simply career goal conversations and their aspirations aren't being discussed, um, that that is a huge deterrent for, you know, attrition. And of course, uh, keeping high performers in your talent.
0: I can see, I can see where that would happen. Um, Mm because it's almost you know they're diverging then from or they're not sure and there's probably a communication gap too then um but i can also see where this is so beneficial because having the employee participate or contribute to that makes them feel that it's not a you know i'm sitting on the other side of the desk and doing your performance reviews you know i, I mean i remember getting performance reviews and giving them and and this idea that um we're going to toss this you know um Toss this form back and forth to each other, but I love the idea of the individual, the employee participating in that and um, taking accountability, you know, or owning it, then they feel, they probably feel um, it's a more rewarding, um, you know, pursuit of, you know, these goals that they're trying to achieve. Is that, am I, am I um, observing this the right way?
1: You absolutely are. It's all about weaving in these necessary conversations. And I always, you know, I always advocate for our leaders to really be those leaders who lead with inquiry, right? Checking in with their talent. And, and, you know, a simple question might be, when we think about your strengths and utilization with X, Y, and Z here, how have you, and then, you know, you fill that in, but you really start to pull in and weave in these necessary conversations to bring to light that job satisfaction, those wants and needs of of the talent. And you can really start to help shape that and create that space for planning together and really being authentic. And it's all about the intentionality, right? Generally, talent will share really what their keen desires are and what they want. And so it's similarly, I think of this very much when I was in sales, right? When When organizations really start to have an employee-centric mindset. So we're similarly to where we do with sales and a customer-centric mindset. And we really start to think about how do we grow together. Uh, then of course, uh, the talent is incredibly invested as well. Mm-hmm. And you found that this also
0: um, helps to uh, keep retention. Um, so strengthen retention of employees, right? I would imagine that this is uh, there's some direct results, you know, with retention and lower attrition.
1: There absolutely is. And that that component there becomes part of that strategic workforce strategy. So when we start to think about going in succession planning and, and, you know, individual and team growth plans as well. And at the end of the day, this all comes down to, you know, having the right talent and the right skills at the right place over the period of time to achieve those short, long-term uh, business objectives.
0: Mhm. Yeah, good. Good. I have one other question for you um sort of related to this. Um sure. Other than salary raises, okay, <laughs> which I think anyone would be happy about, uh but if all companies could do one thing to raise the employees' uh, happiness or talent, you know, the ta- their talent's happiness, what do you think it would be?
1: Oh my goodness. One thing.
0: Oh, it doesn't have to be oh. one. It could be a couple things. You could, na- <laughs> you could name a couple of them.
1: Perfect. So I don't believe there's just one thing or uh, there'd be a lot more successful companies than there are today. Uh, True. <laughs> but a couple things, a couple things come to my mind immediately. Uh, so first of all, I believe it begins with, you know, that mindfulness of that entire talent life cycle. So really being cognizant of that talent experience. It's got to be, you know, cultivated and co-created with intentionality. So that's a huge component. And then when we think about learning happiness, like happiness you know, is a learning and development topic and actually teaching our talent and our individuals how to be happy as a habit is really critical. And these are things that we're not taught generally. So when we think about layering in training for individuals, teams, organizations, sprinkling the emotional intelligence, the resiliency, really it's that neuro growth mindset that will make a huge difference if that helps yeah. whether, whether yeah. A, you're a big reader. And I know I'm a huge reader because I've called some of your yep. postings in the past, but <laughs> one of the biggest, biggest books that I always share with leaders is read multipliers. It's amazing.
0: Yeah. just thinking also, what about the being heard? Right. Um, so as it relates to employee happiness, I commented on your post just recently about um I work best when blank and you asked people to mm-hmm. fill in. And the first thing that came to mind for me as an employee is um I work best when I'm heard. That's mm-hmm. it, you know. And I wonder, I I would think it makes a huge difference just that can shift um employee happiness, just being heard. What do you think?
1: Absolutely could. So simple as not being heard, right? Not having a good ideological debate when a decision's made. Most talent will get on board when a, when a decision's made as long as their voice was heard. So being heard, being seen, being their authentic selves, um, looking around and, and again, it's that diversity in the workplace as well. There's so many different elements that if someone were to finish that sentence on that recent post, it, you know, it comes down to the workplace environment. It comes down to the tools that they have at their disposal to be successful. It comes down to their, their peers, their leaders, their interactions, every component that you can imagine.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. Good. So what's the one big takeaway for the listeners? If oh, you had one big takeaway that you'd like to leave listeners with today.
1: One big takeaway. I would probably say that... Uh, you know, this goes back to what we were just talking about, talent who believe that the management and the leaders are really concerned about them as their whole authentic, true person. You know, they're seen, they're heard, they're appreciated, um, not just an employee, right? They're more productive, they're more satisfied, they're more fulfilled. And and we know that satisfied talent means satisfied customers, which leads to more profitability and, and impacts the bottom line. So that is that is the biggest takeaway.
0: Mm-hmm. Great, good. It's very valuable advice. Um how do so uh, in wrapping, then, Angie, how do my listeners get in contact with you? What's the best way?
1: Oh, well, I'm on all the different social platforms, but probably the easiest way would be on LinkedIn. So all my contact information is populated in the uh, LinkedIn contact, but you can certainly find me on on any of the platforms.
0: Great. Angie was so great to have you here today. Thank you so much for sharing all of your insight. This has just been such a valuable experience for me. And um, it's just been great. Thank you so much.
1: Likewise. Thanks, Christina. Thanks, listeners.